Hey friends, on this episode of Beta Mode by the Beta Collective, I interview Nicole, the CEO of Chris, about her company, how they are working through the pandemic, and about her other portfolio companies and what it's been like so far. Enjoy. How are things going? Pretty good. Like we are fortunate. I guess we'll talk a bit more about what I do, <laughs> whatever yeah. we're fortunate to still yeah. be be busy, but a little bit like too busy because um, I mean, we're rooted in this our work, but also like helping a bunch of tech companies get through this time, right? So we've had right. to like redo budgets, redo models, like rethink strategies for growth, you know, showing how yeah. they're handling it. Like, yeah. So oh, hey, we did not of- plan for a pandemic. So here we right. go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like, yeah. So having had that conversation, um, but yeah, but I mean, it's, it's good. I think I'm in the beginning, it was a little bit tough because like, I'm never in one place. Right. So right. like my dad was joking around. He was like, who would have thought that you would be in one city for two, three for, months at a time. Like wow, that hasn't happened for me for like 10 years, like literally. So it's crazy to be like, not just in one city, but in my house. Like, so it's been good. Like I've got to get a lot more clarity on like a vision and purpose and just like life by having this happen. So, you know, yeah. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Bowen. Bienvenue. And welcome to Beta Mode. Merhaba. Hashtag Denise. Beta Mode. A carbo serieto beta mode. I must say, I'm ready beta mode. Aha. A carbo beta mode. Hello. And welcome to Beta Mode. Hello. And welcome to Beta Mode. My name is Ukemen Daniel. And I will be your host. My name is Nicole Yembra. I'm the founder and managing director of the Chrysalis Company. Um, we have two sides of our business. One is Chrysalis Capital, which is a $15 million pan-African tech venture capital style fund. And then uh, Chrysalis Advisors, which basically helps a lot of early stage to mid-stage tech companies grow scale across the continent um, and also helping a lot of investors, foreign investors interested um, in learning about investing and growing companies on the continent. Um, moved to Nigeria four years ago. Mm. Uh, got my um, started learning about the ecosystem by being CFO of a uh, hundred million dollar fintech holding company. Um, we built technology that was B two B and B two G in aviation, education, um, power, uh, financial services, and social investment. And then I was also managing partner of our investment arm um, and called Greenhouse Capital. And we invest in 14 fintechs that ended up being some of the, the biggest fintechs so far out of our ecosystem, including mm. Flutterwave, um, Helium Health, Max.ng, which, you know, pushed for ride hailing. Yes. Um, Migo, which is the largest, um, like, micro-lending startup, and they've now extended to Brazil. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? ESL, which does, like, it's kind of like Square, so it's like hardware, but mm. it's for, you know, mobile POS devices. Yeah. Um, and Rensource, which is a solar hybrid company, um, and they've kind of grown and, and are providing power as a service. Um, so, yeah, so it was really exciting doing all of that. Then for the last uh, almost 18 months now, been focusing on on Chris, and we have three portfolio companies, um, Helium, 
Bamboo, which allows Nigerians to trade on the U.S. stock exchange and also raise, which is basically building infrastructure to enable um, private exchanges for African and emerging market companies. Wow. You know, I was when I was looking you up and looking Chrysalis Company, I found, you know, the the three companies you just mentioned, Bamboo, yeah, and Helium Health. And the thing is, I knew of all of them. And so for me, it was like, oh, wow. Um, because yeah. <laughs> a few days ago, I was having a, a Zoom meeting with my siblings and my sister's like, how do people, she's in grad school right now. She's like, how do mm-hmm. people invest in Nigeria? And the only thing that came to my mind, like at this point, I had no idea it was part of your portfolio company. This is yeah. Um, I was just like, oh, Bamboo, I've heard really good things. Check it out. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. oh. And, and then I told her yesterday, I'm like, oh, dude. And she's like, please, when you talk to her, Ask her if she had a hundred dollars, what would she do with Which it on bamboo? <laughs> so what I did actually, the first two I got were Tesla and Amazon. Ah. And they have served me extremely well. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like literally my returns on Tesla have been crazy. And then I know Bezos is a polarizing character. Yeah. But their central theme of their company, and I have friends that are at Amazon, is mm-hmm. the customer, right? Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, as true. long as you put the customer first, true. you will always win, no matter what anyone says. Mm-hmm. And so that protects my investment. So obviously, I'm American, <laughs> so I can put stuff on Robinhood, but yeah, I put money exactly. on Bambi, yeah. like because it makes sense, right? And I actually think like it's so funny. I told my team, I was like, I was, you know, the Bamboo team. I was like, I used to use just like. Betterment and stuff like that, where I didn't have to like think about it. But Bamboo was the first time I was actually picking stuff on companies. I just got to vote on Tesla um, referendums yesterday. Yeah. They sent out a notice um, to because once you're a shareholder, like you're an actual shareholder. So right. I got the email from Tesla that I should vote on these things. Right, mm. like that is like now actively part of the process. So she had a hundred dollars, and it's exactly that's those are my two. I'm not, yeah. I'm not just, for, you know, but on the U.S. exchange, I would put my money in those two. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I had a friend at the beginning, maybe in February, and she was like, well, I'm going to use it to invest in Zoom. So I think yeah. that was, yeah, yeah. And that was That's, a smart decision. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, I I really love that. And in fact, all the, all the companies we, we just mentioned, a lot of them for me is almost trying to democratize how people are able to sort of enter markets um, mm-hmm. and just build build their own future versus mm-hmm. just depending on, okay, this is our government, this is our policy yep. is, there's no money, yep. but just almost giving people the tools, like here, take care of yeah. yourself, your health, your wealth. And, that, and what you just said, like, exactly. So it's, we, I, I tell everyone that, you know, like we talk about, like we have this, this theory of, of change, right? Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. Chris, which focuses a lot more on institutions, but from a private side mm-hmm. than individuals. So every single company that we look at, I have to see that you're, like you're building yourself to be an institution. So which means bigger than you as a founder, but also bigger, like for this greater good. So if we look at helium, like you just said, focusing on health outcomes, they could focus just on the private sector and make a ton of money, but they actually do work with state governments that frustrate the hell out of them because they're like, there is no public health, right? Like there is no greater good in health if we don't tackle the public sector and help them that way. Right. Bamboo has to actually sit down with like, 
policymakers, sit down with people at the banks, at CBN, to show them why, why and how this will work, get all the regulatory sign-offs in Nigeria and the U.S. to make this happen. And they spend so much time educating people. Wow. So he is, you know, seeing us like when people that put money in bamboo that, you know, had like moved their naira to dollars in like February time, mm-hmm. right? Till, you know, about a couple of weeks ago, they're, they moved their money in at 360. Right now it's 440 without wow. even investing the money. You've already made returns. Do you yeah. like, do you know what I'm like literally without even, even if you didn't invest in a single company, even if you just stored your money, money on somewhere, bamboo, right. you're storing it in dollars. That's literally giving you access to Forex. Yes, you'll get your money back in there, but you're getting it back at the at the black market rate, if you will, or parallel yeah. market rate, right? So yeah. just by doing that, you've protected yourself from Naira risk and Naira devaluation. So these are things, like you said, giving people another option and how to take care of themselves, right? And how to plug yeah. into the global economy. And then with Ray's, like, they're saying, hey, we want to have, you know, investors talk about Africa as this dark continent. We don't know this. We don't understand this. We're going to make this process for you to, to access capital super easy. We're going to make it so so transparent so they can't come to you and say, oh, you don't have this. You don't have that. No, you have everything, mm. right? Give us the opportunity. You have everything. And in the future, individuals can now, it's easy to raise capital because people can trust you. Just like the stock market, you have it. There's a price. There's information, yeah. right? Over time, Raise will track all of this information about these private companies and it'll make it easy for people to trust, right? And be able to put money behind those companies. That changes dramatically how companies raise capital. Uh, so w- would this sort of be like pitch book? Do you know pitch book? Yes. So yeah, okay. it's not like it's the closest is actually looking for like a NASDAQ, like truly like a private exchange. Like okay, that, okay. that is where they want to go to. So we'll have the pitch book level of data, yeah. but with the ability to trade, with the ability to actually invest and hmm. sell shares and move money across borders. So wow. it's really like a NASDAQ, right? Yeah. Like that's closer to what it is. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I'm so excited. You're talking about all of this. I'm so excited for y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So in your opinion, what are some misconceptions you see out there as an expert in emerging markets? So there's there's things that are that are misconceptions, but I always say that for every, you know, stereotype, there's a prototype, right? So mm. there's things that are true, but people have just kind of like blown it up. So when they talk about here saying, well, people are too poor. Okay, well, yes, there's there's poverty. Mm-hmm. There's people that can't afford, you know, maybe drones or Teslas, but there's products also that people are making billions from, right? Like Dangote is like the richest black man in the world and he doesn't mm-hmm. sell anything outside of Africa, right? Like, so the concept that like, oh, we can't make some of these things really successful here, um, I think is is one that is starting to change, mm-hmm. um, but it's not fully, it's not fully that you can't actually build viable like multi-million dollar unicorn type companies out of Africa. We haven't had them, you know, too many of them. So I understand why they feel that way, but it's all about positioning, right? So that's right. that's kind of one concept. Um, and then the the kind of second is is about infrastructure and and government and not being an enabling environment. 
that part of it is true, but the opportunity there that is also not being seen is the opportunity to shape it. So if you have companies that are in healthcare and they're doing stuff around health tech, they can actually influence policymakers on how they should talk about healthcare privacy, right? How they should, you know, channel resources to invest into healthcare facilities. Mm. If you're doing something in fintech, there were no, these policies were designed for, you know, traditional brick and mortar banks. You now have the opportunity to help write policy about what that future looks like. So being here in frontier markets is actually the chance to build, not just for today, but mm. to really set the pace for the future. And I think a lot of times people don't see that. They just look at the limitations of the past. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a tendency to talk about Africa as a single market. How should we think of the landscape? I mean, is it ever relevant to think of Africa as a whole? Yeah, so I go back and forth on this. Like when I, you know, there's some for me when it's really convenient to say, well, if I just succeed in Nigeria, it's a fifth of the continent. So mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm good there. But the problem I see and, and part of, you know, even me working at stuff at Chris is that we're all trying to build the same exact solution in 54 different countries. Mm. You have to be able to still, you don't see someone saying, oh, I built the Zoom for North America, so you should build a Zoom for Canada and you should build a Zoom for Mexico, right? Like no one talks about like technologies in, in Western parts of the world that way. But when we're here, you know, we sometimes want to view it like, okay, I'm doing this for the Nigerian market. I'm doing this for this market. When a lot of times we're really having the same issues, right? So in terms of viewing Africa as a single market, I view it for things that are commonalities. So if we talk about like things that ride on mobile or internet penetration, things that, um, you know, are dealing with, with certain areas around education or maybe health, right. And, and right. health outcomes um, across the continent. If you view it from that sense, then you're able to expand your market, you know, that way. Or um, one of the companies that I, that I adore, like Anacol, like, they're focusing on people that speak the Hausa language and there's a whole region, 65 million of them between Nigeria and other countries in West Africa, right? So there's an, a chance to view that segment as a single market. Mm. But if you're now trying to talk about from a regulatory perspective, though, um, I learn new things all the time. Like right. in, in Tunisia, not being, you know, for example, super friendly to foreign investment and requiring like heavy investment within, within the country or Morocco, not really enabling its citizens to own businesses and properties outside of the country. Like there's all these weird, I mean, not, let me not say weird. That sounds really mean. There's all these unique yeah. <laughs> um, restrictions and limitations when you view each country. But if you're trying to, to size it and say, Hey, is this a problem that affects this group of people? Like there are certain things you can view Africa as a whole. So mm. a big part of what I, I try to do when I'm working with founders and companies is on how they can grow inorganically by coming together with founders in these other markets. Not just saying, oh, I'm going to expand my company and I'm going to enter Kenya, but find a Kenyan entrepreneur trying to solve the problem, join your forces together, right? Mm. So you now have both local and Pan-African expertise. And that's those are opportunities. If you view Africa, if we get more pan-African companies that are showing that they can be billion-dollar companies from a pan-African lens, that'll help change these misconceptions we talk about as Africa as a frontier market, right, and other emerging markets. So I think we're going to have to come together, mm. but there are definitely peculiarities about, you know, each individual country that you must study. Yeah, so uh, along those lines, like, like um, I've heard a lot of arguments or sort of the school of thought that just believes Africa is so unique, so diverse, so different 
that you almost have to take a country by country approach. Um, and, and then there's always the example of M-Pesa, you know, and, and people yeah. talk about how other countries have tried to do mobile money and how that turned out. Uh, or didn't turn out, I mean, whichever way you want to say it. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's to me, they're looking at an outcome and not the root cause, right? And I think that that's sensible. Like in Ghana, mobile money is there, but it's MTN mobile money. So yes, M-Pesa didn't succeed, but MTN did, right? Like there's companies that we were looking at that want to, you know, want to build their FinTech solution and they're looking at things to bank accounts and they realize everyone is using mobile money. So why are we integrating into the bank accounts here? Mm. MTN succeeded there, right? There's mobile money across different countries. So there's companies that they are just trying to be the simple gateway to connect all the different mobile money providers. Again, people saying like, you're viewing it as like, oh, this one particular company has to succeed. But why did M-Pesa win in Kenya? because the government owns it, right? Via Safaricom, et cetera. The government doesn't own MTN in Ghana. They don't own MTN in Nigeria, right? So they have less of a willingness to let them succeed. In Nigeria, why do we not have expansive mobile money? Because the people that can reach the last mile that are in those mobile phones, the telcos, they're not licensed to do that, right? That's now a regulatory issue. If If once they get licensed or if they're able to do that, MTN could expand their mobile money network across Nigeria. And now you have a fifth of the continent again, right? These yeah. are things that you then have to look at. So I understand the the need to look at a particular country because it, they will definitely be peculiarities within that particular country. But when you're actually look at what is, what is really causing it, is it regulatory? Is it knowledge? Is it infrastructure? What are the things that are stopping that? And if you're able to solve for that, then you absolutely can be Pan-African. Mm. Okay, so along those lines of being Pan-African, I mean, for the for the new or newer startup founder um, trying to build, I mean, their goal is to build something Pan-African. Mm-hmm. If they had to choose a beachhead market, I guess, what country would you advise them to sort of start out with? I mean, I say there's no place better than, than where you know. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the point still stands about where you know the best in terms of your networks, right? Mm, in terms okay, of network. Okay. Being, yeah, in terms of being familiar, like being able to accomplish things that you, that you want to do. So if it's just purely from an investment perspective, mm. um, if someone's coming in and saying, oh, FinTech in Nigeria, why are you trying to work with the banks, blah, blah, but they know East Africa where they think, well, it's just mobile money. You have to explain to them, like, well, you don't understand this space, so you have to do ABC in this market, right? So you're starting to ask questions about a place or something that you don't understand as much, or you don't have people that you can readily call, right, that can give you that that kind of information. Mm. If you're talking, again, about places that have been, you know, tech or foreign investor friendly, of course, everyone always looks in South Africa or Kenya, um, and those are places where things can and have been done you know, pretty well. Um, but for me, I'm like, I'm a little bit more of a, of a risk taker, I guess. And so I, I like, I like the West African market for what you can capture. I love North African market because if you succeed or do well there, you have access to the Middle East, right? Where there's a ton more money. Um, Mm. and so I like that link from North Africa to the Middle East. Um, and so and there, there are places where you could say, oh, yeah, I'm in 20 countries and it doesn't even make up one West African country, right? Like mm. those things happen. Um, if you were a health tech startup, for example, you know, one of my, my product companies, Helium, was looking to East Africa and we realized, 
a lot of the healthcare funding in East Africa is from donor agencies. So mm. unless you're plugged into the Gates Foundation or these other agencies, you're not right. going to make any money right. from a healthcare perspective right. versus in West Africa, people are paying 90% out of pocket. Mm-hmm. That's that's a completely completely different model, right? So if you were looking at it, like just popping over there and say, oh yeah, come and pay for this software. They're going to look at you crazy because that's not what they do. Yeah. So if you're looking to, you know, where do I either grow a business? Where do I invest? Right? Where do you know people on ground that can give you this kind of insight, right? Where do you know people that can help you build those networks to be able to, to succeed and get the most, you know, return for that investment of your time or money? This episode was sponsored by members of the Beta Collective. The Beta Collective is a collaborative community for Africa-focused entrepreneurs and businesses. Find your next collaborator at one of their virtual events and benefit from the resources available to all members. Membership is free and you can join the Beta Collective at thebetacollective.com. Again, it's the betacollective.com Is there a reason you have chosen I guess tech more as your specialty versus let's say more industries like agriculture mm-hmm. or you know consumer products um, yeah. yeah So my I, I tell everyone like my background I was at EY was focused a lot more on manufacturing and manufacturing will always have my heart because it's it's real right I mm. would go into these factories and be able to like look at the barcode and tell you which like machine it came from which wow. plants and all yeah. of those things like I loved it and I still do right still have a love for the manufacturing sector but when I was living in Brazil in 2014. I saw like that technology was that great equalizer, right? Technology was the one that could help us skip. We're not about to have some long industrial revolution, you know, phase in Nigeria. Like we're, we're past that, right? So we need technology to kind of, to help us catch up mm. to where the rest of the world is. Like we, we can't go through the same industrial phases and then, you know, all of the stuff that they, that they went through in the U.S. Or, or Europe. We've got to catch up. Otherwise we'll always be behind. The technology is the way to get us there a lot faster. But what I do with technology itself is an enabler and not really a sector. So Helium is a healthcare company. They're just power, you know, building the technology to power it, right? With them, hospitals run much more efficiently and profitably. Yeah. With them, doctors, patients are connected to doctors all over the world that, you know, get, can get the best care that they need, right? With them, they're able, people are able to finance their healthcare, which they've never been able to do before. With, with Bamboo, again, it's an w- ability for you to build wealth, right? Without saying, oh, I have to go to meet with a, with a you know, financial planner, yeah. and meet with a broker and do all right, of this stuff. Right. Right? Like it, 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 it brings you up to speed, right? So if you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, this is like Robinhood, but oh wait, they can't access it. They don't have a security number. They don't have this. They don't have that. You take all of those barriers away, right? And bring that. From an agricultural perspective, all of the innovation, when you go in and you're saying like, oh, I'm from, you know, I was born in Wisconsin, like how they're producing dairy or yeah. the cornfields in Nebraska, like there is mad technology, right? That's <laughs> being used to, to optimize yield. That's being used to determine how much water, what type of fertilizer, that's all, that's still technology, right? That is being used to make sure that you get the most out of yeah. that. You can still layer that on here. We invest in ag tech, right? Like I, like Africa has over like 50% of 
of the land that can be, you know, converted for, for food growth, which we will need in the rest of the world eventually. Like they will need Africa to produce the food, which means we have to have technology that makes sure we optimize our land, make yeah. sure we optimize like our power resources, mm-hmm. like all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I invest in, in education. I'm a super big proponent of, but something like this or this COVID time shows the importance of ed tech. And it's not just, oh, here's an iPad, this content. Yeah. Like, you have to go yeah. beyond that, right? Of because course. kids are missing so much by just saying, oh, here's a video to watch. So what are really cool, innovative ways to teach? And then another gap we've seen is even helping teachers, right? Become better, become stronger, tapping to the other resources. So to me, technology is just an enabler, mm-hmm. right? And it can cut across so many different sectors. And it's the way to get those sectors and get us caught up to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. How has the pandemic affected Chris as a company? Yeah, so the first couple of months were intense because, like I said, between our portfolio companies and the companies that we have on the advisory side, we were like rapidly doing COVID-19 responses Mm -hmm. for like boards because we had to quickly figure out like a lot of them, which I'm very proud of my my companies, didn't want to like let people go, right? But then how bad was it going to be? Now start making an assessment. So, you know, people would call us like, well, what do we do? So we now start wearing out a couple of things. Are we a sector that's going to be impacted for the next 18 to 24 months? Or are we one that's impacted for the next two to six months? And Mm. very simple to look at. Why would an Airbnb do what they did? People are not really likely to be going back into strangers' houses for a while, right? People are not getting on planes, flying as often as much anytime soon, right? So for them, this is actually a much longer term thing. So it's better to make those decisions today. That's all part of responses. You know, you now have... I mentioned Flutterwave is, is was one of my portfolio companies and now my my client, you know, saying, okay, let's look at this. We process for, for aviation, we process, you know, for transportation. How long are these companies going to be down for versus what else we have? Okay, what else can we do? Like, let's launch the Flutterwave store, right? Which can mm. help e-com- um, small businesses because they can't handle logistics at a time like this. They can't handle delivery within curfew limits, you know, yeah. we can help them do that. So how do we substitute what was in our pipeline for the first half of the year and bring up this Flutterway store and see what else we can do, right? Is is that store out now or is that something you yes, guys are working on? Yes, it's out. It's, no, oh my it's gosh, it's I out. didn't hear about this. That That's oh, awesome. No, I'll, I'll send you information, it's out. Like, that is so, so life-changing though, like for so yes. many entrepreneurs. They go on there like, oh, I'm selling, you know, Create a store, they yeah. handle the payments, they'll even handle your logistics. They'll even wow. they'll pick up, they'll drop off, right? Like, so they handle end to end, and you could literally sit where you are, right? Like, so having to make those adjustments, like these are things that that are, you know what I'm saying? Like we worked on a lot. And so we were incredibly busy. My team was like, Nicole, we're working more now than we did yeah. before. But I was yeah. like, well, we've got to handle it. Yeah. And, to, and especially for us in the content, we have to give our investors confidence, right? Like a couple yeah. of my companies are YC portfolio companies, investors from the US, Europe, Asia. They're like, oh my God, Africa is going to collapse. We're like, oh. no. Like, yes. <laughs> we're like, relax. Right. So part of the, doing that was to show them, hey, we thought through these things. Here's how we're going to conserve cash. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do that. So we worked with a lot of them, you know, to get to get there. Mm. Um, but what I love about which could sound terrible, but what I love about pandemics and recessions is that it shows you what you really are underneath. It shows you if mm-hmm. your foundation is strong. It shows you if your foundation 
is rotten, et cetera. So I, I you know, talked to a lot about it. I was like, when I was, you know, CFO um, during the Nigerian recession 2016, like there was, you had a chance to rebuild, to now make your financial controls tight, right? To now think of new sectors and products to make sure your portfolio is diversified, right? Like mm. you had a chance to really see the impact and the hit of, of focusing on, you know, particular sectors. You had a chance to diversify your business model. There was no, like when you're making a ton of money, like you just go to Allah WeWork, right? Like, or Uber. They make a ton of money. Yeah. And then it, it seems like, oh, well, we'll get, we'll fix it eventually. We'll tighten up operations eventually. Yeah. We'll close yeah. up eventually. When there's not a, a lot of top line revenue, you're like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> we probably should like, tighten up on our costs. We probably should make sure we don't have redundant roles. We probably should make sure we don't have ABC. So I was like, so recession or pandemic gives you the opportunity to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And like to actually tighten. And then when you come out of it though, you now keep that same discipline, right? And so now any other incremental like increase in revenues and profits is going to the bottom line. You have a much stronger business going forward. So I've enjoyed the opportunity to work with founders and, and, and like double down on these things that I say to them, right. Mm. About like discipline and governance and structure. And like a time like this gives it gives us a chance to prove its viability. That's great to hear because I've spoken to founders also that for them, it was just, how can I survive? How can my company survive yeah. right now? Um, and that was, it was just, what can I, I mean, how can I pivot? Um, the good thing is that like, like you said, sort of already, if you run a lean, the leaner you run, the more agile you can sort of be in, you know, being able to pivot or do what you need to do, um, to just stay alive or survive. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just, I think the mindset, like, I, I understand the like stay alive and survive mindset. And I think that that's important. Um, but I think if we, if we view it from a place of not trying to just survive, but to thrive as well, right? Like make decisions that there are some short-term decisions, but don't let it hamper your long-term plans either, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if you can take that moment and say, okay, if I'm, if I'm a, you know, printing company, I need to make masks, I need to do, okay, these are things I'm using to survive, but how do I make sure that I'm still stable for when things pick up, I can get back and I'm now adding this as a new revenue line, right? I'm adding mm. this as a new source or I'm doing whatever this is. So like making sure you're not killing, robbing from your future, just mm. trying to survive safe because then that's all you're going to be doing, right? Every surviving. quarter is going to be about survival. Yeah. But after all, you're never going to move to a place of, of planning for the future. So if you have been able to get some kind of cash or access, some kind of, of financing to be able to, to, to support you through this time and like, think about what's long-term that you can do. So companies that had just raised capital are mm-hmm. in a perfect position, right? Because they know they at least have money to pay their staff, do those types of things. Now we can actually like rebuild our foundation, right? Put in any plug in any cracks, make sure it's really stable. So we're doing more than just surviving, but actually thriving. Mm-hmm. So how do companies get to, do you pick companies or how do companies get to talk to you or get you as an advisor or become clients of your, your company? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so from, I was talking about it from both sides. Um, so from the advisory perspective, like anybody can reach out. We're actually going to launch a different like advisory site because right now we've had, <laughs> we've had so much work just from people in our networks, which is good. Like, yeah. that's, that's good. But, you know, we're, we're like, we've been able to do work across Nigeria, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, Kenya, um, you know, within the past year, mm-hmm. which has been amazing, but it's literally been off of like networks knowing what we've done, but we definitely want 
for people to act like get a hold of us and just do more interesting creative projects um, yeah. over over time. Um, but from an investment perspective, again, you can always reach out to us on our website. You can always hit me up. Don't t- write me and say hello with nothing else because I'm not going to answer. Well, who does that? that? Who writes an email and says hello? No, no, no. Like people, you know, like this, I'm talking about like DMs. At least email people are a little bit better. But like people send me DMs or message on LinkedIn and they're just like, hello. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not about to engage in a conversation with you, bro. Like I'm really not. So uh, tell me what you want. And then like, I'm always going to respond, right? I'm either yeah. like, no, I, you know, I'm not in, this, in that sector or I'm not interested. Like for example, I don't, I personally don't like e-commerce, right? Unless, yeah. Because it's a logistics play. So unless you're showing me how you're solving the logistics side, so I'm not interested. So I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you and be like, no, nah, that's not it. Or if they're like, oh, I'm doing this thing that's like that. If it's similar to one of my portfolio companies or one of the people we're working yeah. with, I'm going to say no as well. Right. Because right. that's a conflict and that's not good for you or them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm, we're always like super responsive, like mm-hmm. across a million and one different platforms. Um, I've seen that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, like in this time, we focused a lot more on the advisory business just because there were so many people that were we were working with already, right? And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, we need to focus on them right now than like right. on companies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, always happy to learn about more, continue doing, you know, a couple of deals a year and continue like supporting really amazing founders and teams. So I should start off by saying that this part, I guess, for anyone that's been paying any kind of attention, we've seen the riots, we've seen riots around the world about around racial injustices. Um, and as a result, a lot of US VCs are, and funds are like, oh, hey, I'm interested in funding more Black founders and more startups by um, Black founders. What ways, what tangible steps can they take to actually ensure they have a lot more Black founders in their portfolio? So, I mean, all the data has shown that people invest in people that look like them, Mm -hmm. right? True. So from women, uh, fund managers invest in like two to three times as many women, same thing with Black founders, et cetera. So the most tangible uh, step you can take is actually like hiring Mm. Black people into those positions. And um, if you can't hire or whatever, like then, you know, partner with certain organizations, right, to to look at pipeline, all of those things. But the most tangible step is actually giving the opportunity for Black people to be in the room, right, when those decisions are being made. Um, a lot of them are talking about setting up funds, et cetera, et cetera, but they're focusing on founders in the U.S. They're still not when it says black, they don't include us. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, the, right? yeah. I am talking about the U.S. No, no. I am yeah, talking no, about I the know, U.S. I know you yeah. are, but I'm saying, yeah. but there's so much technology here, right? Yeah. There's so much opportunity here. When we we go to YC, like through <laughs> two thirds of my portfolio are YC companies, right? Like, yeah. so these are things that we we do for people that view this pan African lens. If you know where Flutterwave's valuation is now, like like it's crazy in three years is on par with some of these other tech companies from the Valley, yeah. right? Same thing with yeah. Helium 18 months later, it's on par, but they still have these weird things. But the most tangible thing in the U S is to hire professionals into mm-hmm. those positions is to get 
um, black or diverse professionals into, you know, their investment committees, right? Because right? um, you don't actually have to be, well, some people do it weird. Some people have a mix external and internal in their IC, but getting people in the investment committee so that people in the room, right, when they're making decisions about this, um, being plugged into a number of the organizations like Black PC that have come out, um, being connected to, to, you know, HBCUs, being connected to, to in cities like Atlanta, where there's yeah. a lot of Black founders that are self-organized, right? Like being connected and plugged into here and being willing to to listen to to stuff about pipeline, mm-hmm. right? That would be very helpful and a, a more tangible step. And if you don't know how to do this or you think it's too much work to do this, then become a GP, become an LP, right? In a fund that focuses on minority founders. Mm-hmm. So give them $500,000, a million dollars, $2 million to, for them to turn around and invest in founders, right, of color, because maybe you don't have that lens. Mm. What, you know, uh, SoftBank is claiming, oh, I'm going to have a $100 million fund for people of color. I was like, there's a million things wrong with that. One, the fact right. that $100 million is 0.1% of your $100 billion mm. fund. Mm. That's, let's tackle that first. I said, secondly, you said people of color. Your, your fund is based out of Asia. I'm pretty sure that Asians are people of color, mm. right? So I'm pretty sure that, I'm not sure how much that $100 million is going to, going to go to Black people, versus going to the generic term people of color, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the conversation that we have to then have there. And that's even a big thing. Like I'm one of, of the school of call me black and not right, a person of right. color. There's a, a um, lot so of that. You know, but we're not going to go down now. that whole path. Yeah, right, now. right. <laughs> because the, the ambiguity with saying <laughs> right. color versus, yeah. Right. We're not going to go down that path, yeah. but that's like a thing that they need to be clear on. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, so I don't, I don't, they, they don't need any more research to show how well minority founders do. They don't need any more research to show the lack of opportunity, understanding what systemic, you know, racism is, right? Like yeah. all of those things, you don't need it. So instead just put people around you that are conscious of it, right. And can help steer you towards uh, better outcomes. Yeah, it's funny with all the research and all the data, everything out there and people in, you know, Black people also saying, this is what we think will create long-term changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, A16Z decided to create a 2.2 million fund, Mm -hmm. which just almost perpetrates that same problem. You literally just gave that same example with SoftBank. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, thank you. Okay, so this. It's not that, I'm not saying thank you. Like, no, no, I'm being sarcastic. I'm not saying thank you. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I'm saying, oh, thank you for this 2.2 million, uh, right. tiny fund you've created to sort of like box. Okay, there we did something here. Black people, you know, go go do something over there. Um, that's, mm-hmm. I feel that's how, that's how I feel about that. Um, and they're treating it as like separate, but equal, right? Which yeah, I'm pretty sure I mean, we're supposed to pass like Jim Crow era. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what have you done? And then we just talked about the, the pandemic and sort of like things you've had to do, um, the calls you had to make, but if we're just going to have a more general conversation, how can we make the startup ecosystem a lot more equitable, especially mm-hmm. for women? Yeah. Um, so I think it, it goes into, again, we're talking about people being in the room and decision makers. So nothing is different there, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, I need to hire 
more black people. So have black people in decision-making positions. I need to hire more women, have more women in decision-making positions, right? So it goes back. It's kind of both one and the same. So when you are creating your fund, you have these things about like your criteria, your thesis, blah, blah, blah. So when I create stuff around, around Chris, it's around the concept of shared value, right? It's about diversity, um, you know, from, from gender, ethnicity, Um, you know, religious background, all of those, these are things that we actually actively track. So for um, my portfolio companies, every, all the three within my new fund all have women in co-founder mm. and senior leadership positions, every yeah. single one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. When we have clients that we work with, we literally push to them. We've, we've placed COOs, controllers, um, all kinds of people in organizations that are women. So we, and we don't do, we don't charge for that. We literally are like, you have this gap that we see because we're rebuilding your strategy. Here's someone that can fill that gap. And most mm. of the people we keep in that network are people, are, are really amazing women that we now can, are comfortable putting our name and brand behind, right? To be able to right. push to that. Right. Um, helping, you know, one of our portfolio companies that's this, um, one of our clients, sorry, that's trying to expand and the people that I have for them that I'm, that I adore in North Africa and East Africa are women. And so I'm like, okay, they have this and this, they can run this part of your, re- like that is how we use the fact that we're in the room, that mm. we are respected to be able to, to give these women an opportunity. Um, and when it comes to, to the ecosystem, people are making these comments where you have to challenge that. So fortunately, unfortunately for everybody else, I don't really give a fuck what people think. And so mm. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I know that I'm good at what I do. Mm. So you're going to, listen or you're going to adjust to it or you're going to do whatever and so if I'm in the position if you come to me to help you if you come to me to help guide you or do whatever it is um either from an advisory side or for the fund um these are things that matter to me and I will push that they are part you know of your of your thesis and that they Mm. matter to you as well yeah yeah awesome awesome um so if you had to pick three top industries in West Africa that probably need a lot more players. Um, what industries would you pick and why? Yeah. Yeah. So the, and it, like the, an area I'm super fascinated by and love is agriculture. Like we talked about, right. Yeah. Um, I don't, we import so much of our food. So oh, yes. Like, so I'm, when I'm living in Atlanta, I used to go to the farmer's market every Saturday. Like, it's like my favorite place to, <laughs> to go to. Yes. Um, and even here, being in Nigeria, there's actually a couple of farms that I order stuff from. Like, I order produce from them. It's not as fantastic as I want it to be. Like, I love my importer shit, but I actually actively make it a point to order from farms in Kanu and Ogun State to ship stuff to my house, right? Like, to oh, continue nice. to support the local economy. But it's still, it's not like there's so many things that they can do to improve from a technology perspective, from a just like customer, like there's a lot that they can do, right? And I think if we, people here would be willing to, we've got to change that narrative about like local quality, right? Versus uh, in foreign. And, you know, we're just talking about this on my team, how everything made in China used to be like synonymous with low quality. Like, oh yeah, yeah that's that stuff of China. Yeah. But now like they have some of the best technology in the world, right? They have some of the like, they have top fashion designers, they have couture houses, they have like all these things because it's been a deliberate effort, right? Mm-hmm. To change the perception of like Chinese goods. What if there are still things that are, you know, going to be really cheap and fast fashion, but then there are things that are, are top quality, especially when it comes around like technology, right? So how can we shift that for me? And like from an ag perspective, um, Another sector that I I love 
um, is, is education. I'm not going to say fintech, even though it's what I'm in, because everyone's a fintech. Lord yeah, every- <laughs> um, but, but like education is, is big for me. And I, I want to see something new and different beyond, oh, it works on their mobile phone. Like, yeah. I think that if they solve it, um, there's, you know, such a huge population of, of out of school children. We're going to have the youngest, we have the youngest population in the world on this continent. We're going to have hundreds of millions of kids that are going to need to be educated, right? Because we just keep having more and more children. Um, and we've got to think about innovative ways to be able to reach them and make sure the education like catches up with the rest of the world. And so, you know, fixing problems of access, quality, and relevance around education um, and just new ways. Like I haven't seen too many things that I think are really fundamentally like life-changing in terms of like education right mm-hmm, and I would love mm-hmm. to see that and I think people would make a ton of money um you know when it comes to to that um I guess I'll say those are my talk to like I always go back to how I think you know with now health is like one that you can talk about because again it's a ton of of opportunity but actually I know what last one uh creative industry mm. I think that there's such a hunger and yearning for like African content and African mm-hmm. branded products. And then there, you know, this like, mythical Wakanda <laughs> and yeah. you know, everyone just like talking about jollof rice, like everybody knows like all of this stuff about our culture. And I think that there's opportunities to, to package our culture in a way that's not exploitative and yeah. actually like be, you know, like make that lucrative. So it doesn't have to be from a technology perspective, right? Like that's just introducing the rest of the world to our cultures, our food, our fashion, you know, showing them the brilliance that comes out of the continent. Um, in addition to the music, the everything. Um, I think if you can, you know, find ways to package around that, that's another sector that would do really well. Yeah. So my shock, I mean, I, I for some, I don't know why I was so shocked, but I, I had some kind of shock in 2017 when I was really trying to like really live in Nigeria. Uh, I went to the grocery mm-hmm. store, everything, like you said, almost everything was imported. Um, and for me, it was a really big disconnect where we have a lot of agriculture um, as part of the economy. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't see that translating into, let's say, the grocery store, into the supermarkets. Um, so in the little interaction I've had, and even just as I've tried to build something in agriculture, I feel like funding has been um, a key a key part of the hurdle um, mm-hmm. because a, a lot of, a lot of companies seem to be very interested in, in tech, which, I mean, there's a good reason why we discussed this already, but in your opinion, or I guess I should say, do you know some resources that would benefit like those three industries you, you talked about? Um, mm-hmm. What, how should they approach funding? Where should they start looking for, for funding? Yeah, so I'm going to preface this with saying that I think a lot of people assume that money will solve their problems and mm. it will not. Mm. So I'm really like, I really have like, oh, I have this idea, but I have no money. And I'm like, well, what the hell did people do before there was VC? Money, like, right. people like people study, like, there are things that happened before, guys. There's banks, there's this, there's like so many other things that happened before VC. Like, the real, the real jig is building a business without external funding. That right. is, that should be everyone's real goal. Yeah. Like building like the, the founders of MailChimp, they built a multi-billion dollar company and never raised a single penny of venture capital funding. That yeah, is same a thing with that base I camp. love and adore. Yeah. Exactly. Like, these are yeah. companies that I love and adore, right? And I'm talking so like that's the real that's the real brag, right? So that's 
that aside, what people do is that they say, oh, you're an investor. I have this idea. Please don't come to me talk about like you want to build, you know, spices or sell aprons. That's not what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like somewhere, somehow, you know, there's people that are building international brands that have funding. Like who are their investors? Mm. You go, if, you're, if your business is around, you know, music technology, fantastic. Find other music technology or not even music technology, just like music production, right? Mm-hmm. Find other music producers who invested in them. Was it the you know production company themselves? Was it this? Was it that? Like, and then go through those networks, right? That's why I tell Target, people to go on Crunchbase. Just go on Crunchbase yeah, like, and look. Literally, yeah. find who invested in them. Find people that are in that sector, right? Find angels. Like that's the type of stuff you should do. So don't come to people and say, "Oh, you're an investor. I have this idea." And think that you can just, you know, go around and be like, oh, yeah, there's tech. I'm like, having a website is not tech, right? Like, <laughs> running, running on someone else's platform is not tech, right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. So every time that even clients that we work with, like, we tell them that we our approach is super targeted. We actually research a pool of investors and we put them in buckets that we think will have a perfect match, right? Yeah. You're, you're their sector you fit the regions they like you you look like a company that they have that they've invested in before you something that will pique their interest right yeah. or something yeah. that they publicly said is something they're interested in so that way you're not just like randomly saying oh i need funding like that's that's weird to me i was like this that just sounds weird yeah like you need yeah. to come to them in a way that they're like yeah this makes sense to me Right. Yeah. So research it and hone that to people that actually match you. Um, and, it, and it may not be a large bucket. Right. Like it may not. But think about even in Africa, like we were not had to also put money before. But now it's crazy how many people are coming, you know, funds are being set up for the continent. Right. That didn't happen. That didn't happen five, ten years ago. Yeah. So you, it, it took a couple of successful companies that made that case. And now it's becoming more prevalent. So yeah. you have to go to the people that are interested in you, right? And like yeah. now make that case. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I run Beta Collective, which is part of Beta Mode, the, the podcast we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Beta Collective, a lot of it is sort of like live events and, and talking to people interested in investing in Africa or just starting a business and, and what to do and things like that. And each time I've had... Um, even from a couple of years ago, before I sort of made it a lot more formal and all of that, it's been the same sort of like, hey, how do I invest in Africa? I want to invest in companies. How do I do that? Um, so for five or six people in a group that say, I want to invest in a company, how would you even advise them to sort of start out with doing that? Yeah, I would advise them if they don't have networks of people that have access to startups, I I would advise them to invest in a fund or an angel group, right? Mm -hmm. Because that way they are getting, you know, due diligence done for them. They're getting like relevant sector information. They're getting detailed company information. So I've had, you know, a couple of of my uh, LPs, they're American guys. And they're like, we want to learn more about Africa. So we're mm-hmm. going to give you money so we can learn more about Africa through you, right? Yeah. So you can send us the articles. You can tell us about the trends. You can tell us about the companies. And then maybe in the future, you know, and then I let them co-invest as well, right? If they yeah. really love a particular company. So that way they can do that over time. But the best way is to align yourself with people that are more knowledgeable and are also on ground mm-hmm. rather than say, saying, oh, I'm going to stay here and like find a company, right? Because yeah. 
you have to be able to match, like manage that with what is on ground. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, okay. So last question. Uh, if you had to pick two founders with early stage post-revenue companies to come on beta mode and, and talk to me, um, what founders would you pick and why? I got to pick my my two homegirls. So Tommy Lola Dejana from Bankly. Um, so Sorry, called Bankly? Yeah, her company's called Bankly. Um, okay. So it's bankly.ng. So okay. she's basically focusing on the unbanked. She's a bank for the unbanked. Um, so how do you help bring them into the system, but not having to bring them to the normal formal system, but mm-hmm. working with the, the tools and people that they already know, right, to formalize their um, their digital ex- like financial experience from mm. savings to access of other other services. Um, so Tommy is incredible, incredible. Um, so she's you know so I'm working with now. We're investing in all of that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then of course um, Yamo from Bamboo. Um, so she's a co-founder um, and you know head of operations, well director of operations for for Bamboo. And she's literally the one that makes the business run <laughs> every day. Mm-hmm. So understanding like how to, to really grow a company in Nigeria, right? Yeah. From day one to this is <laughs> to where we are now. Like this yeah. is bamboo. I mean, they were, they were in development for a while, but in terms of like go live, it's really under a year, which is so amazing for me to see what they've been able to do and becoming part of like just the consciousness of people across Nigeria, right? And just seeing the plans for how that's going to expand across the continent. So, mm. you know, yeah, those two. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I And so I, I will close by saying I am very, very impressed by what you're doing and what you've done. Um, it's you. actually pretty, uh, I guess, inspirational to me because I also have, um, I guess, goals of creating uh, not just creating things, but creating things that actually cause change and actually help yeah. people and actually build communities. Um, that's always been my core mission um, in whatever I sort of put myself um, to do or be a part of. So it, it's so awesome to talk to someone like you that also feels that way and is actually yeah. succeeding at building that um, uh, and bringing other people into it. So, so yeah. that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It was fun. Awesome. 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 <laughs> this is such a pleasure. So let yeah. me Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good day. Right. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beta Mode. You can find me on Twitter at Ukema Daniel or at the next Beta Collective event. Make sure to subscribe to the Beta Mode podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to rate us. Join our Slack group or follow us on Twitter. If you would like more information about us, you can find that at thebetacollective.com. Again, it's thebetacollective.com. Remain well and continue practicing social distancing. And as they say in Swahili, Quaheri.